Hey there, Shopamaniacs! You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about front end web design and development. I'm Dave in the shed. Rupert with me is Chris in the booth. Coyer, how are you, Chris? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks, Mr. Dave. Um, yeah, we uh, we just got a regular show, just me and Dave this week. So we thought we'd actually get to some questions like we've been promising to for a couple of weeks. Let's see uh, how many. We hey, can but before to. we do that, I got yeah. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. OK. What do you got here? Right. Got a new camera. It's going great, except it turns off. I'll figure that out. Um, but, um, I'm, I'm very excited about like upping my setup, but there's the Elgato key lights, right? There's the key light, I got one. the yeah. key light light, uh-huh. which one's the correct one? Is it the key light? I can send you a picture. Light? Oh, I don't know that. Oh, the, probably there's just big, the light, the, the air, big one, I guess. I mean, they're just, well, the big one's just literally bigger, right? Yeah. 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 And I like the, mine. Cause you know what a cool thing about it is that it has the stand that it comes on and the stand you can use for other stuff. I just combined this. So I bought an arm for the stand. So I put my camera on that. So not because I used to have two stands and I just didn't really realize like, Oh, I could combine these. So my key light stand is the same as my camera stand, ooh, which is ooh, a nice ooh, little ooh. combo I did there. I'm jealous of your new little camera though. I have this big beefy DSLR. Um, and I, I don't know why I went that route. I just did. It's been years now. But it really is, you know, it's, it's the the appeal to yours. It's like a, more of a purpose-built camera for this. Yeah, I got the Sony. This is a birthday present. Sony ZV-1 uh, vlogger camera. So it's built for vloggers. I know that's like wild, but there's like a, a echelon, like an entry-level echelon of cameras for, there's a Canon one and a, and a Sony one for vlogging and they now can be like, you know, through a cam link or this one is like through um, USB. I can use that as a webcam. Right. Um, And they're awesome because like they're high quality lens or you don't need the cam. I don't need the cam link. I don't think, but um, I need to, (laughs) but it shuts off. So maybe I do. Um, But the, the benefit of these is they're kind of designed for like shooting a face from like an arm's length away, you know, like, classic uh whatever <laughs> i live in a house of vloggers vlogger kind of lifestyle vlogging um so it's cool so I it's think gonna have clean hdmi Sumner output for one thing output. it's gonna have high quality audio of course it's gonna have probably the boku background kind of thing because that's what really mm-hmm. sets you apart from your average kind of camera thing and it's yep. gonna be plug-inable meaning you're not changing battery and stuff all the time so a lot of advantages they're really cool i'm tempted although it's not cheap right it's dang near a thousand dollar camera it, yeah it's like 700 and then for the vlogging kit which you don't need there's like actually cheaper things that's basically gets you an sd card and this fancy remote or whatever for that's another hundred um but it's it's what i like about it is it's like entry level you know, yeah. if I want the big $3,000 camera, maybe one day I can upgrade to that. But I tell you what, this will probably get me where I want to go pretty, you know. I like it. I'm just seeing so. it for the first time, although I'm looking at you in a round, which is the purpose of it is not full super screen high You're quality not watching video. my TV show. But we'll yeah. zoom and I'll, I'll check it out. It'd be cool. I would, yeah. It seems like an upgrade even from what I have, which is definitely a more expensive setup. But I like the, like the I don't know, the purpose-builtness of what you got going on. You know what? I tried gear-wise. Oh, you oh, have yeah. a final Well, thought. I was going to say it's like point-and-shoot size. And I think that's an important thing. It's not the DSLR size. It's like the old, yeah, oh, I have a camera in my pocket kind of size. So that's kind of what's cool about it, too. So. Yeah. You know, there's been a bunch of blog posts about this, but what got me to do it was was Seth Godin because I, I think I think of Seth as like not like a a tech intelligent guy but not like a straight up tech guy and he you know he blogs every single day which is like this incredible achievement I'm just I look up to him in that way uh he had a post you know a lot most of his posts are like two paragraphs kind of thing just like mm-hmm. a little boop mm-hmm. of a thought you know and take it or leave it you know but I generally find them pretty good this was one of his more longer form ones where he's talking about that idea of upping your gear game for for video calls in this day and age kind of thing and he decided to go all in on the the kind of the teleprompter approach meaning you set your camera behind this like reflective screen such that we're like looking at each other in the eyes when we're talking Mm -hmm. to each other and you get to use a high quality camera to do it 
I find when you're just laptoping zooming with somebody and you have the built-in one that's right at the top of the Skinnerian screen, you kind of already are looking at each other in the eyes. I think it does a pretty good yeah. job of that. But the second you move away, like you have now to this fancier camera, you've mounted it elsewhere and the eye contact thing is going to suffer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so yeah. other people don't, when they're looking at you, you, you it looks like you're looking away and it, it might lose something. So what you've gained in quality, you've lost in connection. It's theoretically solvable with this kind of teleprompter idea. I decided to try it because I'm like, you know, I kind of had that if Seth Godin can do it, I can do it kind of vibe. Hey, but I did look at what it, he did. The, the little device was even a couple hundred bucks, but, you know, I just, I really thought this, this could be a cool thing. And I set it up and it really wasn't that hard to set up the actual teleprompter device. It has no technology. It's just Mm. a reflective thing. And you put it on your mount and you mount the camera behind it. And it's like a two way mirror, like a crime show. You know, the camera can Mm -hmm. see right through this 45 degree angle glass, but when you're looking at it, it's mostly reflective and then the idea is you need to put something underneath that 45 degree angle glass to reflect. And that is, a, it needs to be a computer screen, you know? Fortunately, right. I have an iPad already, and iPad has that. I forget what you call it, AirPlay, but they call it side sidecar. Sidecar, right? Yeah. So that's what I can slip under this thing, and then when I'm on a Zoom call, I can through sidecar, drag a zoom window up to it. And you got to, you know, lock the screen rotation and flip it upside down and stuff. But then I'm on a zoom call and I can be looking right at your eyes or whatever and do it. And I did it a couple of times. Fortunately, I did it right before we were at an event apart and I was having like a wrap up show with Eric Meyer and it felt it. I like it. I give it a thumbs up on that aspect of it that I can be looking right. I feel more engaged Mm-hmm, when I'm mm-hmm. looking right at you kind of thing, because you are looking at them too. They're looking at you in the eyes, but you're looking at them in the eyes too. And it really does bolster that kind of connection thing. I would say, I'm, you know, I took it down already. Like I can't uh, just have it there all the time because the thing is very bulky. It's just, a, and, and the, I don't, I'm not in sidecar all day. I don't want my sidecar just sitting there up in the teleprompter all day long. Like, that's not what I yeah. use the iPad for mostly. So all in all, I, I think I ultimately give it kind of a thumbs down because I, oh, no. I don't have a dedicated device to just leave up there to make it kind of a permanent part of my video conferencing thing. You know, that's the piece of technology that I don't like about it. I think it's cool if you unlocked it. So if you're ever to do like a workshop or a, a like whatever right. Maybe maybe on your CSS tricks videos, you're kind of more like, let's go riff it. But if you're like, like doing like hard edits, you could like go camera one. I'm talking into the the lens camera. Then camera two, I'm just uh-huh. coding at the desk. You know, I, well, so, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking if I have a very important thing come up, let's say I have five interviews in a week. I'll probably set it up so I can do mm-hmm. those interviews with the thing. And it yeah. really wasn't that big of a deal to, to set up and down just because my desk setup has enough kind of like space around it that I'm able mm. to to do that. I don't have to like pull my desk out from the wall and rejigger the world. It's like I have kind of 360 access to the desk, which isn't I like. No, that's cool. Okay. Well, that's kind of gear, gear talk. Hey, so gear today. talk. People like it. I also like it. I just, I don't know. It's... um it's that been in the house for a long time. I'm just going to start up in the game. Just going to whatever, pull the mm-hmm. trigger on this stuff. Mm-hmm. So. I, I've been working on my microphone setup. In, you know, hopefully I sound okay now because I'm in the booth oh, yes, and I have yes, the, yes. you know, I have the Shure SM7B in here and it goes through the, it goes through the, all these devices, the cloud lifter and the, the DBX and all this stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like that setup, but I'm, you know, I'm starting to get the itch again for like what else I can do. The unfortunate thing is that I replicated the same exact thing on my desk and the, it's so different. Echo is a part of it, but I, I almost have the Echo solved, I think. I have so much sound crap I've bought mm-hmm. and put over the walls tastefully. I even have later or early next week ceiling people coming in. This is ridiculous, wow. but I did it because the ceiling is reflective too. They're going to cover the whole ceiling in 
sound blocking stuff. Nice. Yeah. And so that, okay. So Echo's done, right? And it's still, it's just not that good. So I just need to like do it. And of course now I'm like asking everybody for YouTube recommendations today and in the discord, everybody's got good stuff, but a couple of them were like gearhead channels and I'm excited to like watch some wrecks just so I can, you know, try something different. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll sell this audio setup and just start fresh with something. I think that might be what I need to kind of finally solve this at the desk audio situation. Yeah. That's, uh, sometimes that's the, especially with the analog audio, which I know you have at the desk, you, you sometimes something's weird, you know, and you don't know if it's your like little DBX thing or it's, uh, defect is it the mic it's itself like, is it a cable uh, is it the audio interface I, yeah i don't know you know with my usb b cable which is the big chalky boy square mm. boy um <laughs> i have one that's bad i don't know which one because i forget to label it and it's gold too and you think like oh the golds are the good ones right but this one it picks up all kinds of interference and so like i can hear a static over a usb on a USB mic, which you shouldn't be able to do. Right. But like it happens. And I think, yeah, with your, with your mic cable, it could just be like, I don't know. It passed by your Bluetooth and that's what wrecked it, you know? Yeah. Know. And I've so. solved little problems like this before the, like I have a mouse. I use that Logitech, you know, ergonomic mm-hmm. mouse that I like. And over the years I've learned that I cannot plug it into like a USB hub with all my other USB stuff because it interferes and I just don't get as good of connection to it. So I have this special dongle that I plug into a special place that's not by any other USB stuff. And it's worked great for me. And every once in a while, I'm like, oh, surely technology has evolved. That's not a thing anymore. How can it be? My God. And And I'll take off the dongle and I'll plug it in somewhere a little more tenable, you know. And then the mm-hmm. connection sucks again. I'm like, eh, going back to the dongle. Sorry, we got the seven foot wire going up to the ceiling. Yeah. No. Ah, well, I'm oh, thinking yeah. my next thing might be monitors, Chris. We'll get into that some other day. But yeah. It's uh, yeah. a big change. So mm. we'll I don't see. know. I haven't even announced what I did monitor wise. We'll save it, you know. I, we could do a monitor. Or a chonky boy. Uh, Tyler, dump free. Yeah. What build tools should I learn or not bother with? I'm regrettably starting to dive into dev tools more and more. Regrettably. Come on, Tyler. This is the fun part. I prefer vanilla JavaScript, vanilla HTML, vanilla CSS, you know. However, working with WordPress blocks and another large JavaScript project have made it necessary for me to use dev tools that I find a bit complicated and intimidating. Plus, I'm wanting to, you know, dig more into Jamstack stuff and build more custom WordPress blocks and yada, yada. So what, what's the, the build tool gang? What should I start with? You know, Babel, Gulp. Um, that's what he's saying here. Babel's not really a build tool. It's something you'd put in a build tool. Gulp is, people use it as a build tool, technically a task runner, but, you know, the most, I'd say, listen, go listen to our next gen build tool show. Tyler, we had, um, God, who was it? Fred and Jason on to talk about there yep. too. And then later we had Evan on to talk about Vite. Mm-hmm. Those are ready, Tyler. Like, I'm t- I don't know that there's a Vite WordPress block builder yet, but there probably will be, you know, like mm-hmm. Vite's mm-hmm. hot. Uh, but so is Snowpack and so, so is these other ones, you know. I- I'd say that they're... You know, like what's hot, you know, is Webpack still hot, Dave? (laughs) Yeah. If you download, in fact, if you're using any of these WordPress block builder things, the two that I know of both are just Webpack deals. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like if, if WordPress is sort of your wheelhouse and blocks are kind of showing up on your work plate, like Webpack is good. Um, You know, you can, what is that WordPress block? Like, Create there's create WP Guten block, block, which I like that block. one. And then but the but the creator of that has kind of been like, yeah, I should update that, but we'll see if I get <laughs> around to it. And then but I thought they did a tremendously good job with it. But then WordPress themselves is like, uh, we're gonna offer that actually. So I don't think that okay. author has any incentive to maintain that one anymore. And the way that the WordPress people ship it, I think, is through WPCLI. So you 
which is mm. a scaffolding-ish tool, you know? I didn't realize okay. that was like a core thing. But yeah, I guess it is. And then, so there's some CLI command that you're like, make new block, please. And okay. when you do that, you get a little build process for free. So you get a little Webpack-y in there. You get a Webpack config. Right. It's not going to be a Vite thing. It's not going to be a Snowpack thing. So, it's going to be a Webpack thing. And that's just reality for a lot of projects. I would say that's like the best place to start because you are familiar with blocks. You're familiar with what they do. You know, like, I mean, yeah. you, I, I know what you're thinking. You want a butts block that pulls up my code pen profile header. And that's <laughs> what is the most important block to build. And that is, you know, I think you could build that and then like look at the webpack and kind of see what it's doing. Cause you kind of have an idea. It's going to grab some JavaScript or it's going to take an entry file and then it's going to try to bundle that all together. And it's going to probably label an output file. Like for me, webpack is like 0%. What is it doing? Well, I don't know. 50%. What is it doing? And 50%. Okay. What words do I have to type to make it do the job? I want it to do because uh, Webpack comes with this idea of transforms uh, where you transform your code. Right. That's where Babel kind of comes in. That's like the, the prototypical transformer. Um, it turns your old code or new code into old code kind of. Um, uh, yeah. But so, Webpack's the thing you, that's actually going to like process your imports together and, and, and such. Yeah. So it's going to do all the bundling and stitching and, and splitting and everything that you need. Um, so I think that's like a great place. Like it is. I think I like the idea that what you that. said that it's a that the, it's got a very explicit import and export when you're working mm-hmm. with a block. You're like, I need probably need like a blocks.js file that I'm gonna end up in queuing in WordPress because that's how blocks work, you know? And 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 webpack is very what's my what's my entry point file? What do you what's my export bundle file Mm -hmm. that works that like mental model is the right one in this case you wouldn't really use parcel because parcels like assumes it's looking at an html file which you won't really have here and yeah such parcel i mean like yeah can you just point parcel at localhost 8888 yeah maybe you can but it's just gonna be weird it's gonna be a little different yeah and you know that you need JSX because these blocks are React and such. So because you need that, you're not right. I know you say you like vanilla JS. Who doesn't? Vanilla JS is great. We all love it. But you, but you need something to transform your JSX in this world. You just do. So you need some kind of build, and the Webpack Babel way is probably fine. But do the Webpack thing. Just make the cool butts block. And then immediately take that code, uh, copy paste the component itself, and then uh, then just hello world Vite. We were talking about this in the Discord, uh, I think, recently. And Vite is is once you've used Webpack and you understand, oh, it's like generating these files and stuff. Okay, like you understand the input and the output. You take it over to Vite and it's just like, oh my goodness, like it just does what I want. <laughs> like it's so lightweight. It is very, very, very fast. Like that would be a great place to start. Um, if you want to skip over the whole Webpack era, I don't think you can ignore it because there's so much code using it. But if you want to skip over that, ES build by itself is cool. But I think Vite is like the get you from just raw ES build to like, oh, it has a server yeah. and I can use it and like mm-hmm. it makes it it's really really nice for writing code so anyway we we've, we've talked about this a lot on the show good luck tyler don't be afraid of this you can do it this is in in fact i think owning this a little bit in your brain is pretty key to being a dev these i think days. if you're gonna be a wordpress developer just by the nature of where there that ship is steering you got to know this stuff so you do and you're going to be really good at it and sought after oh my god is wordpress development different these days now they're shipping uh this full site editing thing i think is really cool you can build your entire site with blocks you're not screwing around with any of these any php component tree you just block up the whole damn thing your footer's a block your sidebar's a block your menu's a block every damn thing's a block that's great 
And the fact that blocks can just be anything and are so customizable and, and WordPress is saying, developers, please take these things, own these things, build these things. Mm-hmm. And then you're building the whole site that way. That's just different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just different. Yeah. Anyway, I like the idea of blocks that then like a WP query block that unlocks a lot of world twos. That's a lot of the where I still, you know, just two or three times this week, I ended up in that world a little bit. I needed yeah. like a tags page and ended up, you know, running a query for that and using. Anyway, if you could just have a block in the block, it would probably be a core block. They would do well to deliver this to us. And then you use drop downs and stuff to configure the exact query you want to run. And it shows that kind of that's that'll be a game changer, too, I think. Oh, yeah. Just a, show me the last 10 posts about pizza. Done. You know, that would be everyone needs something. Like yeah. That. And like, make sure the pagination is in there. And then the block that you show for each pizza, that's this other block. Yeah. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Treehouse. You know Treehorse. You know, follow the link in the show notes, but it's teamtreehouse.com. You know, with the cute little frog hand as a logo. Treehouse is awesome. Uh, you can go there and get a seven-day free trial of the program, and you sign up, and then you have access to this huge library of, 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 of things to learn that work for people from all backgrounds and all skill levels. The point is to learn code or to learn a new programming language, and it's all on demand. So it's video courses in all kinds of topics and subjects. And they really help you get through them. It's not like, okay, here you go, learn. It's kind of gamified with quizzes and code challenges and workspaces to help you like literally do the code, pass the challenges, make sure you're learning what you need to learn, which is great. They have this thing called Tech Degree, the Treehouse Tech Degree. And it's like a boot camp, you know, if you're familiar with that word, right? Like, I'm going to go to boot camp and then I'm going to graduate and get a job. And, And it's like that. It's just a fraction of the cost of traditional boot camps. And there's none of this like, just do it for free and then we'll take a chunk of your money that you earn from your real job later, like an income share agreement, none of that stuff going on. So don't worry about it if you are. You know, a million people have finished Treehouse. Like, that's outstanding and really cool. You'll be in good company. So go to teamtreehouse.com to start your subscription and start learning code today. All right. All right. Tyler, good luck. Good luck with you. In fact, while we're in WordPress land for a minute, maybe we'll divert to the uh, the social media images talk. I've been a little obsessed with this for, for years and obsessed in a way because I've never nailed it. So not an obsessed like I'm awesome at this and I want to show the world, but obsessed in like a, why can I never get this to work the way I want it to? The idea being you have a website and you want good, what do they call a meta images or open graph or whatever yeah like a whatever the twitter card the the like image right. that shows up on your twitter or facebook post. every um, sh- surely you live this life more like it's important for clients right of course the, even they'll be thinking about and asking for this what do people see when they tweet my link and you if you do nothing they're going to see nothing it's just going to be a link and that's just like leaving money on the table because in yeah. Twitter land, if you paste a link, it's going to look for that open graph Twitter card and you can put a big, beefy, enticing image there. It's like being a YouTube star and just not caring about your thumbnails. Nobody yeah. does it. You got to care about your thumbnails. You could put a whole the whole first paragraph and in, in, like the whole lead inside the image. Right. Like I this was it kind of bothers me. Truth be told, like. But height wins on social media. Height is hierarchy. If you, the higher your post, the taller your post, the more engagement it gets. Yeah. I hate it, but that's like, the truth. There's even physics behind it. It's like clickable area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Anyway, so so of course, like if you're going to build like a conference page or something, you should have a hand designed, beautiful custom card for you. Put it up there. Anytime somebody shares the conference, it's going to be accompanied by this beautiful social media card. It might be the number one most viewed piece of digital design that people see related to your conference. It might be the brand. No, that I I would wonder. Mm, like if you tracked image 
impressions like on those images, I I gotta think that yeah, I'll get a hammer. Be it would be twenty x what your click through rate to the actual pages. I mean, right? It would be in. I mean, that's what my Twitter posts are. They're like like literally one fiftieth of the <laughs> the views or whatever are like somebody actually like clicked. So right. So that's for a landing page or something. Fine. You know, but then there's this like dynamic content style website, which is almost more common. So DaveRupert.com, you blog, you make mm-hmm. a blog post. The blog post has a URL. It's about, you know, a beautiful science fiction film or something. Mm-hmm. That blog post probably deserves its own custom media image. Uh, I've been thinking about it today because, you know, just farting around on Twitter the last few weeks, it seems to me this is new, unless I'm just totally out of my mind. I haven't heard anybody talking about it. If you've seen somebody post a GitHub link, GitHub, to me, looks like they have new cards. That's true, yeah. They They, look good. They, like, generate these cool cards, like, with your avatar. You can actually configure, like, your image, like, cards in github so like you can like dress it up or whatever so it'll have your avatar on it it'll have the name of the repo it'll have the the issue title if you're posting an issue or something they look really good just like your blog post ones should look good but you know is you know like is 11d gonna help you with that not really and you could wire something up but you know you're kind of on your own here it's a little bit of a wild west for the best way to handle this hand doing it i think is the is the best possible way for the best the best bang for your buck so Nine. dave rupert you could in your front matter have a thing that says custom meta card hand design it in figma or whatever and upload i do it somewhere. do that you do occasionally but yeah. it's it's a lot of work for me oh right like so I, I dreamed of it in my last redesign. I went in Figma. I made a template. It's got a beautiful place for the avatar. I grab a block quote from the article and put it in there. And, and I did it like three times because I yeah, just here, don't. I'll tell you exactly how many times. Yeah, you can do a finding project for yeah, yeah. Um, Image colon. That's all it'll take. Let me find. It. Okay, keep going though. Automating it to some degree has got to be done, you know. So the, that's why I'm obsessed with is I dabbled a little bit at, on at conferences.cssstricks.com. I wanted to get this done. So if somebody tweeted a link to one of the individual conferences, that it would have a custom thing. And I got in my mind that SVG was the way to do this because SVG has this compositional aspect to it, right? I can say, here's the dimensions of the SVG. I can make the dimensions exactly match the pixel dimensions that a website like Twitter wants. And then I can place things very explicitly where they're going to be on that SVG, get the SVG just right. But I can, SVG will render text and all that stuff. So I can put dynamic content in there, but SVG won't work in the meta tag, you know, like that's not an acceptable format. So then I just, but uh, in my little 11D build process, I just run a little thing that is like, it's called like SVG to PNG or something. And it just makes the PNG version of it and it works great. And then I (laughs) forgot to actually wire it up to put the meta tag in the head. So it like does Uh, all the work of making these edits, but they're not that cool. And nobody shares these URLs anyway. So I kind of like don't care that much, but imagine a site like CSS tricks, we have to have good ones. Like it's like I said, leaving money on the table to not do it. What we do is just pick something. We just, Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. WordPress will help you with it in that having a featured image in a blog post is a built-in feature of WordPress. So if you have one and we do have one because it's just part of our like editorial flow, that just becomes the social media card for the post. That's fine, but it doesn't really solve automation. You know what I mean? It it just, you still got to do it. It is possible to automate it, though, and I have a bunch of links I can put in the show notes. People have done a beautiful job of this in the past. You know, imagine Dave Rupert, where you put a block quote in your front matter and you like hand design a template for a social media card. Yeah. 
And then it gets converted and added in all the right ways, such that the end result of it is very dynamic. You know, it's still cool. But imagine then doing me on CSS Tricks. I'll have the author name on that. I'll have the author avatar on it. I'll have the date it was published. I'll have a chosen block quote. I'll have, maybe I'll have five different templates I can pick from. You know, I feel like WordPress is really well suited to do this. And I was like, ah, I should get around to doing that someday and never did. And then just today found through um through the discord a link to a project that was doing it and it got you know i just downloaded i haven't even installed it yet but uh I'll, I'll report back but it looks very promising it looks like that it looks like you can templatize your own versions of this and i think that's the way to go and i think it's under talked about no totally i i wish like i, I that automation is kind of the key piece I'm interested in, you know, and, and I know people like do it um, as like a build process thing. I know there's like Gatsby and Eleveny plugins. Um, yeah. I think I saw Wes Boss tweeting about it. Like he just changed his or something and did like 1500 posts and it took 29 minutes or something. And his build process actually stalled out. That's rip mm. um, too bad. Uh, but I, I would like to figure out something that's like very easy to do. Like just, just kind of a, Pre, it's too I mean, bad it SVG even... isn't supported because then you wouldn't have to pre-build them. They could be dynamically built. You wouldn't have well, to. That's what I'm wondering about these SVG to PNG kind of things. I don't know. You know, yeah, like, I mean, it could be a cloud like, function that that runs it and runs it in a lambda so that you just hit the lambda and it barfs out the PNG, but it's been dynamic the whole time. Yeah, Maybe. I don't know. Um, that because because you could even just. I mean, it could just be pre-commit hook or something that chucks it in there. Um, uh, just because, yeah, I mean, I like, like pre-building them is going to be a pain in your ass forever. Like the the West Boss route is, he, I would think that he's starting to regret it. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, you almost want it to be like a just like like you're saying, like an SVG. It's like another collection that builds out, and then something converts the. I mean. Dream world, these things support SVG, but you know, that's yeah. probably not gonna happen. But don't you like the idea of a, like a little bit of editorial step too? Because what about like a really long blog post title or an author URL that's super long or something? I like the idea of having it be easy to do, but having like a last minute check be like, oh, does mm-hmm. the social media card look good or do I need to pick a different template or do a tweak to it? Then if you have to do the tweak, you do it and then you lock it in time and, you know, then you never have to think about that one again. But if you have 750 of them to generate or 7,500 of them to generate, you you have no opportunity to editorially yeah. check them. Yeah. Well, and that's where, that's the other trick. Like maybe you have a, I don't know. How does GitHub do know. it? Do you think they're adjusting font size a little bit for really long repo names? I haven't looked yeah, into it. Yeah, maybe enough. they can just, or they text truncate or something. I don't know, but well, maybe we could put that to the test. But yeah, I, I, so I have like 275 posts and I've maybe done it 27 times. So a, a custom image for my posts. So yeah. So you're leaving 725 posts just out to dry on social media, man. I'm, yeah. I'm just, just dead <laughs> on social media. Cause it, it's funny too. Like, yeah, uh, it's that quintessential thing where you like put your heart and soul into the post and you like tweet it out and you're like, that was a good post, man. And then you're just like sitting back and it's like seven likes, you know? And you're like, man, man, yeah, that was a good post for like seven likes that what's going on. And then, you know, the post about whatever, um, farts, jQuery fart machine, it gets like whatever 500 likes, you know, it's just, the, the internet doesn't make sense. There, we should, there, I would suspect there's already some kind of law of the internet about that. But if there's not, we should coin one because yeah. I find that to be highly true as well. If I work for weeks and weeks and weeks on something. The inverse, yeah. uh, in, inverse uh, thermodynamic, like dynamics of uh, blogging. Oh, lol, uh, I opened up Twitter and it was Wes's tweet about his build time choking out. Thanks, just, algorithms. That's a long time to wait. <laughs> and then it's, then it choked. He was like right at yeah. the end too. Uh, I mean, Oh, but it didn't I, choke on his local machine. It choked on the Netlify build, which is you're a yeah, little yeah, more yeah, helpless yeah. To, to deal with then. Wah, yeah. wah. Sorry, bud. Yeah. 
Uh, what was I going to say? That the, the, we should should we do another question? Or? Another question before we uh, yeah. uh, only to turn into a one question show. Stu Grant writes in: Is there a way uh, of ensuring that a child element respects the border radius clipping of its parent without using overflow hidden or nested border radius? Uh, overflow hidden has undesirable results for things like tool tips, which might render part of the way around the container and be cut off. I'm trying to avoid uh nth child as we don't split our cards into segments every time. Uh, surely this is a solved problem or at least a property that will make this happen. So you know that if you have a parent with border radius, 10 pixels on it, and then a child that has no that there's no margin or pa- or there's no padding on the inside of that element. You put like a div and you put background black on it or something. It won't respect that border radius of the parent. It'll just hang right out. So mm-hmm. a lot of times what people do is just do overflow hidden and then that rounded radius of the parent will will a- apply to everything. And Stu's saying, "Yeah, okay, fine, but I can't oft always rely on overflow hidden because what if this thing has tool tips in it or something, which is a perfectly legit thing mm-hmm. i find in my you know my my ramblings that that you know if if you if the if the child element butts right up against the parent you can just make it also border radius 10 pixels and then it's fine you know um or, but you might have to yeah. do border top right 10 pixels or whatever if you're you know if 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 the whole thing doesn't have the same pixel right but as soon as you're set in set a little bit it won't be 10 pixels anymore. In fact, that will look wrong. Uh, it will look weird. It'll ha- you'll probably have to do border radius eight pixels or nine or something based on that padding. And I'm sure there's math that makes it work, but it's, I've always only eyeballed it. But the idea is that it, you know, if you do it, if there, there's like 10 pixels of padding and they're both border radius, 10 pixels, they'll be, it won't, just, it won't look uniform. It'll look weird. So, but it doesn't sound like you have that gap. You're just saying, I just want the child to have the same border radius as the parent. In that case, I think you could do border radius inherit, couldn't you? And we'll just suck it from the parent. Maybe. Uh, I don't know if border radius shoots down, but it might. Well, if you ask, it won't by default, but if you ask it to, it probably would. I wonder if it even does it corner by corner. I'll test it quick. You do another question. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I thought I, I felt like there was, oh yeah. Somebody's saying like boy raising hair. Um, I thought there was a way to do this with the property. Uh, I'm just like, like box sizing or something like that, that made this kind of happen. But I think it's just, I don't know. I think it's just maybe not, I'm I'm just live googling. This doesn't helpful. Um, uh-huh. I was hoping you would know that answer. So, you know, overflow is sort of the way to do it. Um, I mean, yeah. If, I mean, just overflow. I, I think at this point you have to ask yourself like, how important is the border radius? You know, like, is it 100 percent important or whatever? Where it gets you in trouble is like when you an image is the top of the thing at the card. I sort of assume it's like a card UI, but if you have an image as the top thing, that's where it gets you in trouble because the image pokes out. So, yeah, right. Um, so any any background would would kind of poke out here. I'm confirming yeah. that border radius inherit will pick it up, and you can even even if the parent was border radius 10 pixels, and you only wanted like the top right corner to grab that, you could go border top right radius inherit, and it will grab it from border. You know, so okay. that you you're managing it in the same place. Although I'm looking at a pen right now, or I'm playing with it, and I can see. You know, I have two different colors on the parent and the child, and I can see the parent poking out a little bit, even though there's no margin or or there's no padding or anything. It's just like a rendering bug or something. Well, that's the problem with border radius is like you go in, like the science actually changes, you know, like if, if outer one has a border radius of three pixels and inner one has a border radius of three pixels, they won't match up exactly just because there's like a, uh, just, I don't know, some math on it. Uh, it's But only if there's so you, padding on the parent one, right? Or does that work mm, even with the child? You, I would think if they occupy the exact same space that it would match. But I think, yeah. I think you're right here because I'm looking at it with my very own eyes and I can see the parent stick out, sticking out a little bit. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I 
it's a little bit tough. And, you know, that's the nature of borders and stuff like, cause borders is outside of the, the box actually, you know? So that's yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rob. Sorry. Lindsay. I don't have a good answer, Stu. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Just overflow it and tell your company you can't do tool tips. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Jetpack Boost. So Jetpack Boost is by the Jetpack Gang, you know, the the plugin for your WordPress sites. But this is a totally standalone plugin. You can just install this if you want to. And it's just the performance features of Jetpack broken off into this plugin, but it adds some new ones that you don't get from just the core Jetpack plugin. So it does three things, optimizes CSS loading, defers non-essential JavaScript, and does lazy image loading. Lazy image loading, I think, is the only one that was in the, the core Jetpack plugin, and it's now moved over to this one a lot of bang for your buck there it's just like any image that's like below the fold you know that a that a user landing on your website if there's an image that they don't see because they haven't scrolled to it yet it's not loaded at all which is amazing for performance and bandwidth saving reasons there's no reason you shouldn't be doing that and there's really no reason you shouldn't be doing these other two as well the non-essential javascript is like the plugin figures out if there's javascript that's being loaded that could be loaded later deferred that it just is going to do that and that's tremendous for performance because it like doesn't hurt the page functionality it just loads it later but the one i'm most impressed with is the optimized css loading one it does critical css which is that thing that's like again like above the fold like whatever the user sees what what's the minimum amount of css to style just that stuff and that's loaded inline into the head of your document so it's just there the, immediately as the page loads and the rest of your CSS is deferred like, you know, the deferred JavaScript is and it loads later, meaning you don't notice any difference in how the page loads because everything you can see is is styled already, but then pretty quickly afterwards the rest of the styles are loaded so the, by the time you're scrolling and whatever, you probably won't notice anything. Tremendous for performance because CSS is like a render blocking thing and very hard to pull off. And the way that it does it is just magic. It just run, figures it just figures it out for you. It takes a little while to run the little th- whatever magic it's doing behind the scenes to do it, but then it just does it. It's for the first time in my life I have critical CSS on CSS tricks uh, thanks to this plugin. So high five and thanks for the support, Jetpack. Oh, this one, this is asking Dave specifically because he used to be a Windows guy, but he's saying, Dave, is there any, uh, wh- what if you have to debug Safari in Windows? Do you, just, uh, you just cry. You yeah. ask your coworkers to give you a screenshot. There's just no, um, you can't do it, right? Or can you emulate OS X on Windows somehow? Uh, you could use an emulator. Um, yeah, I always used to use crossbrowsertesting.com. Like, Cross-browser testing would be a way. Um, there's a new tool by Kenneth Ockenberg called inspect.dev. Um, inspect. And uh, Kenneth is a smart person and figured out how to juke <laughs> the permissions. And I mean that in the nicest way. Uh, I think you like have to install. <laughs> if I, wow. I could be wrong. I think you have to install iTunes just to like get the plugin work, the the proxy stuff uh, working um i'm not yeah. seeing this this is cool um, a new so developer it, tool for mac os and windows to inspect and debug mobile web applications and websites on ios devices so you could have a windows machine fire this thing up plug in your iphone and debug on it even though all you had was windows yeah so wow. so there is a way this is kind of the way around it i think right now um your mileage may vary, but it's basically like a VS Code environment, uh, but it's got dev tools kind of slapped in there, just yeah. you know, your Chrome dev tools. What if you don't even um, have an iOS device, though? Then if you don't have an iOS device, then you're you're kind of hosed, because um, yeah, you just don't have like the what's happening. The problems is coming out of the iOS device, and this would actually be a good tool if you're on Mac and you don't like because you have to use Safari's dev tools to inspect right, your right. Uh, iOS devices. Much love to the Safari team. Although 
got some questions. Oh, is this Chrome DevTools, not Safari DevTools? Yeah, Chrome DevTools. Oh, so, sorry. sick, really? This is so that's like a bonus. You know what I mean? So yeah, I hate Safari to say, DevTools Chrome are DevTools just weird, are way good. So. Yeah, Safari DevTools just got weird. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I would uh, super recommend Inspect. Um, and uh, I guess it's coming soon. Inspect over Wi-Fi, so maybe you don't even have to plug in your um, device too. So that could be kind of cool. Um, and, and you know, to de- debug iOS, you don't necessarily need an iPhone. You can just get an iPod touch or whatever. If they still sell those, do they still sell those? I think they do. Um, you know, and just have that by your desk. Like that could be kind of a cool way to kind of just get what you need there. All right. Uh, next question from Tom Segura. Uh, all of my professional and personal websites run on Drupal. As a new listener, I tuned into several of your episodes with CMS in the title, expecting to hear about Drupal, but was surprised to find it wasn't discussed. Why not? Mm. What are your thoughts on the state of Drupal in 2021? Love the show. Thanks for reading. Hey, it's a blind spot for me. I'll tell you, Tom, I have never, ever built a Drupal site ever. Never once. So that's why. Yeah, no, I I think for me too, I, I do know people who have like are in Drupal shops and stuff like that. There's a shop in Austin called Four Kitchens. Um, and you know, they did a lot of Drupal stuff and kind of worked with them and knew people from there. But I just never like I never opened the box and was like, Yes, let's roll, let's do this. <laughs> in fact, I've been on a couple projects like get us off of Drupal. And that was like, oh, okay, let, let me help you with that. So I'm sure it's flipping huge, though, right? Didn't the government like it for a long time? I know there's more and more government websites on WordPress, but it used to be like the government darling for a minute. Yeah, a lot of higher ed and a lot of government used Drupal. So I think it is very like still a, a workhorse and a very good CMS. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think there was, for me, like, there's a bit of a hiccup in between Drupal seven and eight um, that where I kind of lost interest um, yeah. just because it seemed like they're having trouble getting it out. But that was me, but um, their little blobs on their homepage are sweet. Good job, Drupal. I think these are cool. Yeah. But I, I think too, like, I don't know. I, most of the people I know are kind of moving away from it. So I guess maybe that's colors my feelings, but you know, I, I know there's people that do do Drupal. So uh, maybe we're just not giving it enough justice here, but maybe I'm just going to tell you it's a blind spot for me. I don't even know enough to speak intelligently about it. So can not do it. Uh, yeah. you know, it's, um, what I did it's just cause just, just cause I'm not, now I'm thinking about CMSs again. At one point I built my own code block for you. you can we, we just stop calling it Gutenberg now? Cause it's not that anymore it's the block editor you know block made a custom editor. block wordpress already has a code block block in it that it chips with and you just mm-hmm. select it or you just do triple back ticks and it pops open or whatever but it's so there's nothing to it it's just <laughs> makes the font have a pre-code tag around it and that's it you know like okay. not that useful, although I do appreciate how Gooper, it does um, escape code for you, but it, it does that whether you're in this block or not. So I like being able to like type open bracket div close bracket and know that I'm not going to like break my website because mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. in old WordPress, you would literally just break it. You'd, now you'd have an unclosed div tag and your entire website would be hosed. Just sideways. Yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> so I like that, but I built my own because I, I, um, have a history on CSS tricks of, of the way that the front end expects the attributes and stuff to be on those pre-code blocks. I set it up a long time ago. There's just, I can't convert every single one of them. I mean, maybe somebody craftier with MySQL could do it. In fact, I've, <laughs> I have more and more experience with that, so I could probably fix it now. But sometimes my brain is just like, you know what? There's like 8,000 pieces of content on this site. This is the way we've always done pre-code blocks with this set of classes and these other attributes. I'm just going to keep it like that. So I made the block to match how we've always done it before. Mm-hmm, but I figure mm-hmm. if I do that, then I can have a little more control. That way, you know, when you're crafting a 
a block of code in a blog post, I have this sidebar of options I can pick because that's what the block editor does. So I can pick what language it is from a drop-down menu. I don't have to write it in HTML, you know? Yeah. I just, yeah, yeah. I get to pick it. It's a nice little UI. And now I have all this control because it's a React component. So I can do whatever the hell I want in the React component. Uh, so I do fancy stuff. Like I duplicated it and ran it through Prism JS so I could see a code a syntax highlighted version of it because why not i would like to verify that the syntax highlighting is working properly for it so i did it and yeah. i did there's a bunch of other i can highlight particular lines by just entering a number it's a really clever little thing and then there's this i but what i couldn't do is just ha- what i wanted is like you know like you're on code pen you just are writing code and it's syntax highlighted as you write it like, that's just how Code Mirror yeah, works. Yeah. That's how the Ace Editor works. It's like, maybe I should be using that because then the the experience of writing the code block would, like, have all the niceties of a code editor. But I didn't go quite that far because that's that's just, like, a like a step too far for me. And it's, like, a little more technical debt than I was ready to handle. Yeah, like, like a whole Code Mirror inside <laughs> your Gutenberg or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, what yeah. kind of, what am I signing up for here? It's not exactly an iframe, you know, so... Who knows what mm. you're going to get, but so I, I. But I was already using Prism anyway, so I like it when the code editors match. In fact, <laughs> I once removed Prism from from CodePen and just made no matter where we're outputting code, even if it's on the blog <laughs> on the CodePen blog, Code Mirror is what syntax highlights it, just so that our themes are consistent 100% across all of CodePen. The same okay. piece of technology does the syntax highlighting. I, I did the same thing in reverse on CSS Tricks. Only Prism is in charge of doing the syntax highlighting, just so it's consistent. You know what to expect on both sides. Yeah. But this blog post from Oliver Greer, a guest blog post, did this really clever thing where you would take a text area, just a normal text area in HTML, mm-hmm. then run it through Prism and then take mm-hmm. the results of it and just place it like Z-index style identically on top of the text area. So it's syntax highlighted, but you, you know what I mean? But you can just type in it still because it has yeah. like it has like pointer events none on it, you know? So you can just yeah, click so right just through it. Pass it's just, through it's just a pass through. Yeah. But there's problems with that because like then you like you can't see the carrot from the text area. There's like all these little caveats because I've tried this before and I was like, oh, this is beyond me. Like, I don't know, the the spell checking gets weird and the, the carrot gets mm-hmm. weird and there's all these little weirdness. But he solved all of them in this blog post. And I was like, hell yeah, buddy. Thanks for writing it for CSS tricks because now I can literally take your exact code, put it in my <laughs> Gutenberg block. And now I have syntax highlighted, like I have like a little mini fake code mirror right inside my blocks. And it just feels so good. It makes me feel like how lame it was before the block editor and how we had to do blocks of code. And That's kind of next level. That's pretty clever. That's, um, I like it. Sometimes that you, you worry like CSS and UX or whatever is all plateaued, you know, but like, I like it when people kind of figure out these little tricks, you know, like, you're like, oh, you figured out the thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was touches that, that were necessary to make it work. The, one of the CSS things that unlocked this is um, the carrot color property in CSS. How often do you use that? Never. Never, but yeah. you can you can select a text area or input and say carrot color yellow or whatever, and then just the little tiny carrot will will become that color. And that's uh that's like believe it or not a necessary component to make this little trick. Oh man, I workable. gotta read this because like you could like text yeah that's just text fill transparent basically. Or well, because what you have to do is say color transparent on the text area so that you don't see the text so you're not seeing the doubled up text. Oh, but as soon okay. as you do color transparent, you've lost your carrot. But then you say carrot, carrot color white and you get your carrot back. Wow, tricks! That's a that's so simple. It's great. I hate it. I love it. I hate, I, wow. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, it's like, Oh, how'd you delete the, okay. Wow. Yeah. I would have thought color wins and not in that, but every time, but no, well, isn't that fun to think of the CSS things that win and don't win. I, mm-hmm. I'm often, you know, like people intuitively understand that you can't beat display. Like if the parent is display, none, a child cannot be display block. It cannot like un 
beat its parent. Like it's gone. It, its parent is displayed none. It's been vaporized. But for whatever reason, visibility doesn't work that way. If you visibility hidden the parent, the child will be hidden too, unless you visibility visible it, and then it un-invisibles itself, even though the parent is invisible. It's like, Ooh. that's just mind-blowingly weird to me. But. One of the things we've been trying to solve in OpenUI yeah. is like deep linking, right? So if you have a tabs and you deep link to like paragraph two of the third tab or whatever, or heading to the yeah. third tab or something. like Heading two of and, the third tab, and, yeah. You know, so, so then somebody sends you that link, gives it to Chris and then sends you to that and you get the hash and you expect to see see that paragraph or like what do you expect should happen should it show that paragraph or should it auto figure it out you know or like or are you just sol like <laughs> whatever and then you know and there, so it has to we, tell you not only what tab to be active but what heading in the tab to be active yeah exactly and then like google indexable and stuff like that or something like really? it came there from search or something like that but then you take it like the next next step and it's like um you know i would never do this but you know what about tabs within tabs or a drop down, yeah. a pop up inside a tabs inside a modal. Where is it headed? I, I would think it would be like it would just figure it out. Right? I'd be like, this is a unique ID. And it happens to be in tab three, which is in within tab four. So I'm going to activate tab three and tab four because I yeah. have to, otherwise it's not visible, and that's a UX problem. So then you have to just work up the tree. So yeah, I don't know. There's some, but then what if that fucking I, what if I, that I, paragraph I, was display none what would you do you know now what do you do like by the user agent yeah because so, you can't just so. i don't know i was in a meeting today where we had a couple edge cases came up and we'd be like you know what we're going to do about those edge cases nothing big old piece out yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you can't because you're talking about web platform stuff you can't yeah piece yeah out that's web platform. Web, but it, it's just interesting to think about it. it's it's like oh man i just want to make tabs and now i have to figure out deep linking within a tabs within a tabs. So um, I, I had a, I was, I should have probably discorded you about it or whatever, but there's, I think twice now I've had to link to your, I wanted to link to your slow, like brisket, which is not the title of the blog post. The title of the blog post is about slow web standards or something. And slow, like brisket is a header fairly mm-hmm. far down the blog post, but it doesn't have an ID on it. So I should have just <sighs> made you put an ID on it, but I didn't. And then I was like, should I use the Chrome special thing where you do the thing? But then I'm like, "Mm, no, probably not. You know, like I just don't like how it looks, you know, (laughs) colon, colon squiggly. Yeah. 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 It doesn't look great. I don't even know which post that is. I'll figure it out. Um, Oh, I think it's like a, but should there be like, uh, like, cause I don't blame Google. I'm like, it's actually kind of a good idea. It unlocks this possibility. It just only unlocks it for Chrome. That's mostly what I don't like about it. Well, when I switch to 11, it's totally going to happen one day. (laughs) It'll have an ID then, right? Because you'll just use some. I'll just use. Can't you just tell your markdown to do that? Yeah. 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 So I'll get a heading in there one day, but, you know, not this year. (laughs) That would be too much. Yeah. I'll get it in there, though. Yeah. Anyway. Slow. You're going to do it slow like brisket. I'll do it over the course of. Two and a half years, which is my current timeline on my uh, my eleventy <laughs> migration. It's eleventy is great. It's not a really eleventy's problem, although it was zero point five seconds slower than Jekyll, and that's why I said, "Oh no." <laughs> I remember that. And didn't you decide that you're over it? You just then, but you just haven't circled. I'm the back. worst human. Oh, 0.5 seconds. Why do I? Why do I make my life harder for half a second? Well, it's not only that, so. but does it? Does it do anything? I mean, your IDs. Now we've discovered one thing it's going to do. Your headers are going to have IDs. What else is it going to do? Oh, yeah. It's going to, well, GitHub Actions is going to be the big thing. I'm going to continuous performance and accessibility integration. Oh, yes. Dude, do that so that I can copy it every single time I need to add that to a project. Yeah, because that's just like, just put a lighthouse in there. Bing, bong. Yeah. Just want to. Do you see the. Uh, web page test API has a GitHub action now too. So you can just hit it and it'll barf out a nice little, I like the idea that a pull request is freaking loaded 
with information about what's going on on that. And Netlify unlocks that because they solve one of the hardest aspects of it, which is giving you a URL to hit to run those tests on. But, yeah. but the PR, of course, has this immutable thing. So you could run it against, yeah, you could run it against Lighthouse. You could run um, Axe on it. You mm-hmm. could, mm-hmm. you could. what else could you run on it? Uh, um, I, you know, anything, like your tests or whatever, you know. Yeah, integration like, tests. There's like three right that, there. But, you know, we had a thing like the deployment failed to AWS or whatever. I, I forget what happened. I think I messed up something or, um, and... And I, or it was, it was this weird thing where I set up a, a, (laughs) this is, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. So I needed, there was like a countdown to a certain midnight date and, and the client was like, let's turn off sales at midnight. And I was like, okay, cool. I don't want to do a 2 a.m. deploy. So we're going to write a countdown timer and then like use state to like flip the whole site, you know, use like, like, you know, the, the current state to flip the whole site. Yeah. Unfortunately, like Nuxt in server-side render mode just ate it. I mean, it just just took a nosedive. Stuff disappeared. It was pretty bad, but the the site flip, which I anticipated happening and worked locally, didn't happen on the server-side generated piece because you don't have Vuex or something when the page loads, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so it just bailed and i just was like man that's a bummer and then i was like okay well i can like just fix it uh in the morning and maybe it was back to monday morning when i did it but like i uh i was like how can i fix this and then it was like oh you could do like a fake commit you know like just add a space or something or get no uh i forget what the command is like just just do an empty commit and then um and then I was like, you know, I'm going to try the GitHub action and just hit the like rerun this. Yeah. And that's all it took because the time was all fixed. Like, and so it's mm. so dumb, but it, I didn't have to like open up Jenkins or something. I just went to GitHub actions that did it and that f- fixed it. And it was just cool. It was cool to like, I don't know. I, I All that information was there. I didn't have to go to the third or fourth app. Anyway, I, th- I, I think I want to unlock GitHub actions a little bit more here in the big fan myself year 2021 yeah i mean it's like it's not that different from other ci tools it's just you use github anyway so like yeah why not just rock it right there so you can they're just super integrated into the github interface i mean it's not exactly innovation but it kind of is because it brings that tool right 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 there well and if like your site is built using like npm commands and stuff like that i mean you can just like each command you just <laughs> you like run that command and then tr- re-trigger a build or whatever like fetch fetch my likes from feedbin and then rerun the build like that's cool like you could do that you get like a free ui and github so yeah anyway. it's like free it's a free freaking computer which i'm sure half of the usage of is currently mining ethereum <laughs> There's there's actually some GitHub spam uh, that did that. It was some somebody like would put a crypto miner into Preact or something like that, and then, uh, but because the build the the Jenkins will run, it actually does mine some amount of coin, but because the Jenkins would run, uh, oh yeah, and then it would, like, there was expire. a bug for a minute too where it actually but, would just run the action on a PR which was really oh, yeah. super, 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 super bad. Because yeah. one thing, one of those, one of the things that GitHub Action can do is access your secrets. So, oh, so, so if you're like echo secret, send an email to my secrets. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, And so even, even if that's not fixed or was a very small surface area bug or something, what's bad is that, that I got a PR the other day that looked like one of those like we're gonna bump low dash for you oh, yeah you know I evergreen bot or whatever he's called yeah it's a, dependabot dependabot yeah. it made it look like a dependabot update but it had a get it added a github action to the repo and i was like uh no and looking at Rip. the code it didn't i couldn't quite figure out that it was doing anything nefarious or that it absolutely was but it was like how can it not be like yeah. that that looks awful, you know? And so mm. th- I heard from GitHub on it and they were going to, 
you know, I don't know what the solution is. I'm sure they're like, they're fighting spam all the time, but it was to generally make PRs that add or change a GitHub action much more prominent, prominent in the, you know, be like, elevate, them. yeah, be like, be careful. There's a change here to the GitHub action. Even package.json should just be like, probably because i mean that's i don't know 90 percent of the time so we have yeah we have spammers all the time like i don't know people like i don't know i think somebody wanted to like buy one of my jquery plugins or something and i'm just like no what are you gonna do with that buddy (laughs) (laughs) sounds like not something not legal i don't know so Mm -hmm. we'll see all right. All right. Let's wrap it up. Uh, thanks, you dear listener, for sending in your questions. We like questions here on this Shop Talk show. Uh, it is a question and answer podcast. And uh, thank you for downloading this and your podcast your choice. Be sure to start our favorite up. Uh, that's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. And join us over on the Discord, patreon.com slash Shop Talk Show to uh, get in. So uh, enjoy. The Discord's cool. I, I don't know how to say this. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Nope, shoptalkshow.com.